Well, it finally happened. Oh, no. I don't like stories that start like that. Guess what is on HBO Max right now? Golden Girls. Drop Dead Gorgeous. <gasps> and Nick watched it for the first time with me last night. What was his favorite part? His favorite part was when Kirsten Dunn says, I hate her. She says, I know, I know, we all do. Yeah. He <laughs> rewound it like three times. He loved it. Also, he was like, this movie would never be made today. I said, I know. It's so wrong, but it's so right. I- <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Welcome to I Think Not Everybody, the podcast where Joey Taranto and I, Ellen Marsh, recap all of your favorite true crime TV shows and give you all of the random pop culture references that we we don't even know we know. They just come out. Our existences are rooted in pop culture. Right. It's a ton of them. And even now it's like TikTok references. I know. You fucking know. You're back in there. That's why as Lutherans use grape Kool-Aid for the bullet price. But I love it that like some people get our Broadway references. Some people get your Golden Girls references. Some people get Clue references. Yes. Little hidden nuggets. Little hidden nuggets. If you would like more hidden nuggets, you can find us on the Patreon. And for as little as $5 a month, you can get four bonus episodes of whatever the heck comes out of our mouth. We are not responsible, but... On the Patreon, you can find over 100 episodes. You can even get some ad-free episodes. Tell them the kind of shows that we have. Well, I'm just going to start with my favorite. I almost got away with it. Always. It makes me cackle. We also have Pink Collar Crimes, See No Evil, and then some things with that other lady that used to go here. What are are they? I don't know. Evil lives here. Fry thy neighbor. Fry thy neighbor. Going all the way back. But you can find that on patreon.com slash I think not. And we will be there spouting nonsense. But we love it and we love you. But we are here with our July series, City Confidential, which is really like serious true crime documentary making. Yeah, I want to say that the very first season was kind of like the start of true crime series. Is that right? I don't know. I feel like somebody said that and I latched onto a small piece of information and ran with it. So essentially I've turned into my mother. (laughs) You know what I read? Where did you read that, Ma? Facebook doesn't matter, but here I go. I think that start of true crime might have been cops. Are we on caps? (laughs) (laughs) That goes back to Drop Dead Gorgeous. We started at season seven, episode two, and now we're on episode three, Bloodshed in Brooklyn. Are you happy that I wrote down the title? I am happy. Y'all, you don't know this, but every day I come in and I just don't write down the title and I just turn to Joy, I say, what's it called? And then he (laughs) tells me, but I wrote it down today. I'm happy to give it to you, honey. They're saying we have multiple people down. We have multiple people shot. Have the homicide unit respond. I was like, huh? Brooklyn? There's no way in the world someone got murdered there. And it was just so many people. It's like his life stopped at that moment when his son was murdered. These were some real bad actors that we had to get off the street. They've taken something away from our neighborhood, our community. And all of that's gone. Well, here we are in Washington, D.C., where a narrator tells us something interesting. But outside the marble towers of the federal complex, there's a 68-square-mile patchwork of distinct residential neighborhoods like Georgetown, Foggy Bottom, Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what, what, did, what did you say? Foggy Bottom. I'm sorry. 
Did I hear that right? Just one more time. Foggy Bottom. That's what I thought. Yeah. You said Foggy Bottom. Not to be confused with the swamp in Florida called Sloppy Bottom. Yeah. Yeah, it's named after the dinosaurs that used to roam that area called Sloppabottomus Rex. <laughs> Are they only found in D.C.? Oh, no, the Slopabotamus Rex was in Florida. Oh, got it, got yeah, it. Yeah, where the, the Sloppy Bottom is. No, right now we're in Foggy Bottom, I which is just a, a bottom who is lost. <laughs> Not so smart and doesn't know where they are. Are you okay? He's just a Foggy Bottom. Keep walking. <laughs> Keep walking. I just want to make sure he's okay. Keep walking. Put your head down. I don't like D.C. Why? There are not a lot of cities I don't like, but the only time I would go to D.C. is if I was invited to the correspondence dinner. Mm. D.C. is just confusing. I don't like the way it's laid out. Those quadrants. Well, I've only spent 24 hours in Washington, D.C. When we did a live show there. Yes, so I can't really speak to it. I would like to go see the Washington Monument. Uh, <laughs> Again, drop dead gorgeous. <laughs> but D.C. is the home of American democracy, but also Marjorie Taylor Greene goes there. She that, does go there, yeah, so, but only part-time. Right. This little gem is named after Colonel Jaheel Brooks, an 1812 war veteran who once owned the land. But around here, it's affectionately called Little Rome. And for good reason. In its two square miles, there are more than 20 religious institutions. Little Rome is in Brookland, and it's called that because there's two square miles that are just like churches. It's like Starbucks. There's one on every corner. Yeah. Yeah, you can pray to whatever God you want to pray to at whatever time you want to. And, you know, there's tons of wafers. And the largest Catholic church, the Immaculate Conception. Okay, I was raised Catholic. Yes. And do you have the Stations of the Cross in your... No, That's okay. So in my Catholic church, there was like statues on the wall of all the Stations of the Cross. You know, Jesus walking and everything. And I remember looking at them. They're very, very scary. And then do you guys do communion in your religion? Like usually like once or twice a year. Okay, we do it every mass. And when I got communion, I remember asking my mom, I didn't understand because they say body of Christ Mm -hmm. and then you eat it. Yeah. And when I was little, I was genuinely terrified because I thought I was eating Jesus. (laughs) It's so confusing. Using. Fast forward 20 years when you were dating a man named Jesus and you're like, I'm actually eating Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And also, it's confusing and it tastes like cardboard. It is pretty gross. Yeah. You know, we didn't do that. Well, my aunt made the mistake of taking me and my little sister to mass once and we blew out all the candles because we thought it was like a birthday thing for Jesus. Oh, She never no. took us back. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that is weird. It's also oddly pagan. They're like, witches! Look at all these witches! I'm like, you're eating Jesus. Yeah. It's scary. Like, the nailing in the hand. I I used to get scared of that. You know, Catholics own the most property of any organization in the world. More than Scientology? Yeah, the most. Welcome to our podcast about (laughs) Catholicism and our religious trauma. Between 9th and 10th Street, there's a dirt patch surrounded by a chain-link fence. It looks like any vacant lot. But this one is a literal scar on the very heart of the community. But it wasn't always like this. This spot was once home to Brooklyn's favorite watering hole, the Colonel Brooks Tavern, named after the neighborhood's founding father. Now, in this neighborhood, there is a vacant lot, which didn't used to be vacant. 
It used to be home to a bar slash restaurant called the Colonel Brooks Tavern, named after the founder. I love a good tavern. Me too. I love Brazen Tavern mm-hmm. in Hell's Kitchen because I can fuck up some wings. Same. I love tavern food. I believe we are in a time of unprecedented divisiveness. Everybody is so hateful to everyone online and mean-spirited exchanges. I believe that in our social climate, chicken wings can bring us together. If you eat meat, who doesn't like a chicken wing? Wings. Bringing folks together since 1918? 18-something? It was 1862 was the first. (laughs) Google it. I don't know. Well, listen, you love taverns, I love taverns, and everyone who lived in the Brookland area loved this tavern. We meet the owner, Jim, who's like, look, people loved it. They enjoyed it here. They felt safe. And that brings us to the morning of April 6th, 2003. If you've got a 2003 calendar handy, it was Palm Sunday, and it's 8 a.m., and the church bells go off, which, not to bring it back to the church, but that's too early for church. (laughs) Jesus 100% slept in. Did you see his hair? Yeah. He had to blow out every day because his hair was fantastic. So I'm just saying, if anyone's listening and has the power, start church at a sensible 1 p.m., because on the seventh day, he rested. Agreed. At 8 a.m. for church? Agreed. Well, it's Palm Sunday, a 911 call comes in, and a man named Carlos Wilcox, who is the assistant manager of the Colonel Brooks Tavern, says, please help, we are being robbed by two masked men. And apparently he had to run to the roof to escape so he could make that call. But everyone else who works there is still downstairs with the gunman. But when the two officers arrive, the tavern is empty. That must be very eerie. Like, just to come and think that something happened and then it just be empty and being like, what the like heck is, is here? So they look around and nothing. They check everywhere until they open the freezer. And that's when they radio for help. Now, the absolute down bitch of this episode is the homicide detective Mitch Creedle. Yeah. And he is on the scene. And let me tell you, be prepared. Mitch, he is not here for your shit. No. Mitch is not here for anyone's shit. I love this man. When I first got the call that there's a triple murder at Colonel Brooks, I was like, huh? So many things just going through my mind. Colonel Brooks? Brooklyn? There's no way in the world someone got murdered there. When I arrived on the crime scene, I walked to where the freezer was. I saw shell casings everywhere, blood everywhere. I can tell he's a perfectionist. Oh, yeah. He is going to dot every I and cross every T. And so he gets to the scene of the crime. It's very gruesome. There are shell casings all over that walk-in freezer. Three large pools of blood where they find two men and one woman who have been shot and killed. And it was gruesome. Like you said, there was blood everywhere. And... Just by the small indications on the scene, they think there was more than one shooter. So they start to canvas the crime scene and try and find any clues they have. But obviously, first, they have to identify the victims. And the victims in this case are Joshua Greenberg, who was 34 years old, a head of hair that most men would kill for. How beautiful was that? A head chef with a head of hair. Yeah. Also, they found 48-year-old Naomi Payne, who had worked as a cook there forever. 
And the last victim was a man that Detective Creedle actually knew. They grew up in the same neighborhood. And that was a man named Rodney Barnes. Yeah. So this is not only very tragic because this is sort of a town staple that everyone went to, but this is personal for Detective Mitch because they grew up around the corner from each other. They played together. And he describes him as this sweet teddy bear always smiling and boom, the picture comes on the screen and you're like, that man is a teddy bear. Yeah. Just big smile. You could tell. I feel like if I knew him, he would hug me. Yeah. When you first saw my picture for the Kinky Boots cast list, Mm -hmm. did you think the same thing when you saw my face? No, I thought crotchety old crypt keeper, but he looks funny. So I'm going to sit next to him. (laughs) I saw yours and I said, look at this old buzzard. She is nosy. But so come am I. Come sit next to me. <laughs> if you can't say anything nice about anybody, come, come sit, sit by, by me. <laughs> that Sunday morning, as I was driving down the street, I noticed there were police cars, and I tried to go around the block, and there was another officer. I told him I work at Colonel Brooks, and could I, you know, go around the block to get there? And he instructed me to park my car and come back over and speak with him. So I did. And all I remember him saying was the word shooting. Well, also, we meet a woman named Trish Roth who Love worked. Trish. Yeah, she worked at the tavern and she was actually pulling up for her shift. And she's like, what are all these cop cars doing? And she's thinking it's for something else. And she goes to a cop and's like, hey, I actually work here. Can I just get around? So I don't want to be late for my shift. He's like, actually pull over and then come and talk to me. And he informs her of what happened. And you know, I was thinking about this is that we spend more time with the people we work with than our own families. And if you're lucky enough and you work in a good environment, those people become like a second family to you. And so I can only imagine it is the morning, a Sunday morning. You're thinking, I'm going to see these people And then you get that news. My heart broke for her. And she's sitting here crying, talking about it. Yeah. And I get this. And obviously not on this level. But sometimes she's like, all I heard was the word shooting. And it's like kind of like a blur. You black out a little and everything turns to slow motion. Obviously, I I, I don't know that experience. But when you get bad news or weird news and she's just like, it didn't feel real. She could not compute it. We was talking to people who were walking um, dogs, people who may have been working out. We We was talking to everybody in the neighborhood. No one saw the gunman walking up to the place. No one saw the gunman leave. That leaves just one eyewitness, the tavern's assistant manager, Carlos Wilcox. So now the detectives are canvassing the neighborhood, asking folks if they saw anything, heard anything. No one did. And that leaves just one witness to this crime. And that is the assistant manager who went to the roof to call 911. He is hysterical. Every single person who recalls Carlos says in a different way, this man was a wreck. Yeah. He was sobbing. He was hysterical. But one man didn't care. And that was my down bitch, Mitch, because a down bitch, Mitch. Yeah. Because he was like, sorry about your grief. I have a murder to solve. Wipe your tears. You're a suspect. Because Mitch was like, I don't give a shit what you think about me because I'm 70% sure you think I'm insensitive right now because you're crying, but I'm 100% sure I don't give a fuck. Let's go talk. Well, the former assistant district attorney, Deborah Sines, is here and she's like, if you're the only witness, you are automatically a suspect. I get that. I totally get that. So on that, down bitch Mitch says, We can't cater to emotions. We cater to emotions that can throw us off in an investigation. I was going to sit here and allow Carlos to make me feel sorry for him. 
regardless of what mental condition he was in. I'm not a therapist, I'm not a doctor. That, that's not my profession. My profession is to find out who murdered someone. So down bitch Mitch, he took his emotion out of it, sits down, and Carlos Wilcox is actually here, the assistant manager. And he tells us himself what that morning was like. Carlos says, I opened up the restaurant, turned off the alarm, and that morning he was like, something feels off. I don't want to be alone. He actually stood outside of the restaurant waiting for Josh, Naomi, and Rodney to get there so that they could all go in together. And they do. They arrive. Carlos goes in, makes coffee, and the other three start their prep work for the day. Right. He says Naomi was making her famous potato salad. I love potato salad. So do I. But I love macaroni salad more because here's the thing about potato salad. Everyone thinks they make an amazing potato salad. It's like deviled eggs. Yeah. Like, mm, no, you're nasty, Deborah. You put celery in your potato salad, I will pass. You don't like celery in your potato salad? No. Just a little bit. It gives it a little bit of crunch. No. Not too much, but also put some dill in there. Yeah. Mm. Well, not everyone makes a good potato salad, but I'll bet you Naomi did because it was famous. Now, Josh was making crab cakes and you can't fuck up a crab cake. No, you can't. No, you just fry crab. I'll eat it. I'd eat fried crab with bark in it. Like, I don't care. <laughs> Throw some tree bark in there. So now, assistant manager Carlos heads upstairs to the office. He's like, I put on some music. I open the safe and he's counting cash because he's going to do the bank drop that morning. Right. Looks out the window. Just happened to look out the window and he sees two men walking very quickly toward the unlocked back door of the restaurant. And Carlos is like, I saw them pull down their mask. And so he's like, oh, fuck, they are about to rob us. Mm -hmm. So he throws the money in the safe. How he knew to have the wherewithal to do that, who knows? And that's when he ran to the roof. But on the roof, he heard the guys say, where is he? And he thought, Oh, my God, they're looking for me. So he stayed on the roof. And as they ran out, he locks eyes with them. Yeah. And as Carlos is telling this story, he's breaking down again. Yeah. He is just a sensitive soul. But he also was like, there's people downstairs and I got to call the cops. That's when he hurried up, went back into the office, grabbed the phone, went in a closet and called 911. After police arrived, he was told what happened to his employees. I think I was in a state of disbelief, and I thought that I would wake up and find that I was in a coma or I was dreaming and this was a nightmare. This wasn't real. It didn't register. Um, And it was just so many people. Now, just for your brains, Mitch knows he left about $3,200 on the desk because he tried to get as much as he could in the safe which, oh my gosh, protect yourself, forget about the fucking money, and run upstairs. Now, Dalvich Mitch went to DBU, and he majored his, I'm sorry you're sad, but I'm still fucking suspicious of you. He was like, so why did you leave the money on the desk? Whenever someone says something like that, I'm like worried about him, and he's like, but why'd you throw some of the money in the safe and not all of it? Maybe he's thinking like, this is what I can grab. Because initially, Carlos threw some money in the safe, but he also reached for the phone and he fumbled the phone. And that's why he's like, Bleh. so he's discombobulated. He's like, I got to get to the roof. He had 50 keys on that ring. The door to the roof was locked. Thank God the first key he used was the one that gave him access to the roof. So there's so much that's mm-hmm. happening and he's processing. And Detective Creedle is like, that's all great, but it sounds very suspicious to me because that's very quick thinking for anyone. Yeah. He basically has one eye on Carlos and he's like, To me, that reads that you're involved. But you know what? Detective Creedle says, 
Carlos's story did not change once. Yeah. Not through hours of questioning. It never changed. And also Carlos is here saying like, it it took me a minute to realize that I was a suspect and it was very hurtful. But again, it's like, I get it. Yeah. You got to do your job, Detective Creedle. For now, Carlos is free to go. Within hours, all of DC knows about the murders. A lot of people started showing up. Some brought flowers, teddy bears, balloons, uh, immediate memorials. Some of those people that showed up didn't know Naomi. They didn't know Joshua. They didn't know Rodney. They were just so crushed by what they heard and honestly frightened. So word travels around D.C. It's on the nightly news that night. Everybody hears. They're terrified. And we hear from everyone's family. This show is really great about getting everyone's family. Rodney's sister, Josh's sister. They're all here. And everyone is just talking about who they were and what they meant to the community and their families. It's very thoughtful. It is. It's very, very sweet. And everybody is emotional and kind. And Listen, down bitch Mitch, he's just a king. He's like, I think this was an inside job. Yeah. It's the only way because it's a Sunday. You know they just had a big Saturday night. You know he's going to have a lot of cash on hand. Somebody who knows the inner workings of that establishment had to be involved. Yeah. And the thing is, is that restaurant owner Jim says most folks who left this job left on good terms. We weren't really firing people. It was very rare that we had to let someone go. Right. But Detective Creedle's like, nope, nope, it was someone who worked here. So he gets a contact list with the names and numbers of all 200 current and former employees. And baby, he's going through an alphabetical process of elimination. Seven weeks after three people were gunned down at Colonel Brooks Tavern, an anonymous caller tells homicide detective Mitch Cradle he has information about the case. He said, I, I know what happened. I want to tell you. So, of course, I'm all excited. I said, well, can we meet? Can we talk? He said, man, I don't know if I want to get involved. I'm a little hesitant, man. Uh, let me think about it. I'll call you back. And he hangs up the phone. So it's May 27th, 2003. This is seven weeks after the murder. And an anonymous caller calls with a tip. And he's basically like, I know what happened. But as he's about to tell his story, much like me on my wedding day, the caller gets cold feet. Yes, he does. (laughs) And he hangs up. I'm like, what? What the fuck? Then why did you call if you're just going to hang up? So Detective Creedle can only wait for him to call back. He waits, he waits, he waits. He doesn't get that call back. Meanwhile, the public is demanding answers, especially the families of the victims. I mean, the people who worked at the tavern were understandably anxious. They're thinking, I mean, could this happen again? And sadly, this tragedy crushed their business. Truly, I mean, people stopped coming. The workers were clearly in pain. Patrons were uncomfortable eating there and the business tanked. So then the tipster called back. And he's like, okay, I'm ready to talk. And down bitch Mitch is like, great. I don't want you to get cold feet. Let's meet in a outside place that looks really casual. So they meet up at a park. And I should say, Detective Credo was like, the way this guy was talking about like his guilt with God. And I thought for a second, this guy might be a nutcase. Now, let me tell you something. 
Sometimes nutcases can do something for you. Okay. Because I've worked with Cindy Lauper. Okay. And she gave me a job. What? So, and, and what did she do for you besides give us some really good jokes? She made it so that I could pay my rent for years. So thank you, Cindy Lauper, you old nutcase. She is nut. I love her. One of my favorite nuts, though. She's a very sweet, well-meaning nut. She's not a malicious nut. No. She's a nut nut. She is an artiste. Yeah. And whether I thought he was a nutcase or not, I had to meet with him. The next morning, the two men sit down at a local park. His good friend had told him that he's the one who shot and killed the female. And that friend is 24-year-old Tyree Bunn. And at first, this dude is thinking, Tyree didn't do this. He's not capable of doing this. He wouldn't murder anyone. Well, then Tyree said that they only got $3,200 which wasn't much money. And immediately Detective Creedle said, wait wait, wait a second, Mm -hmm. your friend said $3,200? That's the exact amount that Carlos left out on that desk. So he knew that this was a legitimate tip. Yeah, at the very least, down bitch Mitch was like, this guy is not Cindy Lauper. Yes. And he knows something. Yeah. And I'm sure he thought for a minute, like maybe he was having some kind of guilt and maybe was like involved because- down Bitch Mitch doesn't let anything buy him. No, no, he no. He is so on the ball with everything. I want a t-shirt that says, solve crimes like Down Bitch Mitch. Be like Mitch. Yeah. Also, the problem is, is the informant says, okay, so that's the information. I feel better. However, I am not going to aid you in this investigation, and I am not going to testify against Tyree. And so Detective Mitch is like, well, fuck. Yeah, you can't do anything with that. They need to get some kind of a confession or something. So they kind of like regroup. They keep going through the list. And nine months pass and it's January 15th, 2004. And they're like, you know what? Let's give our park friend another call. And they do. And they're like, okay, listen, we know you don't want to testify. We got you. But hear us out. I know you're probably going to say no. Could be dangerous, but we have to ask you, will you wear a wire? He's like, absolutely, yes, I'll wear a wire. Well, also, (laughs) Detective Mitch knew that this guy had a relationship with God. And he was like, what would Jesus want you to do? And let me tell you, this informant was like, "Mm, there's two things I fear. God and wronging Ellen Marsh. I've seen the screenshot. Yeah. So yes, I will you help don't you. I will do it. I will help you. I went back to the informant. I said, look, man, we have a, a situation whereas we can just put you in a vehicle with him. He said, Cool, no problem. We were very, very concerned about him not saying anything that would jeopardize his safety. So they're kind of like going over the do's and don'ts of wearing a wire, which sometimes in the past we've seen people just be like, call them on your phone. Let's go. Yeah. No, they go through the do's and don'ts and down bitch tipster was like, I'm going to stop you right there. I got this. And actually he does. Now, look, let me just tell you this. The police had been watching Tyree for months. Yeah. He had no priors and they were hoping that he would slip up just a little bit so that they could arrest him, bring him in and then question him. That was not happening. So they were counting on this informant to pull through. Y'all, he did. And he was good. Even the DA says so. Yeah. Turns out he, he was really good at this. The informant was like, sit back and watch, my friends. 
because they have this tricked out van and cameras and everything. Because if Kyrie is going to give a confession, they're going to fucking get it. Because if there's one thing down bitch Mitch will not do, it is fuck around. He will always find out. It's true. And so the day arrives, this informant picks up Tyree and they start the conversation and Tyree began to brag. Brag. He described everything that happened. And what's crazy is that they're thinking that there was two robbers, right? There's two killers. Y'all, there were four people involved. And the guy who planned it was a dude named David Wright, a former cook at the tavern who had been let go in the summer of 2002. And David was determined to rob that place. Yeah, so Down Bitch Mitch like went back to his list, that master list. He's like, David Wright, David Wright, David Wright. Boom, right there, David Wright. He's like, fuck, I didn't get to the W's yet. He was the very last name. Because there was like over 200 names on this list. You know, he wanted everyone, busboys, cooks, hosts, servers, everything. And he just had it. Oh, I got just I know. again. It's crazy. So Tyree gives them everything that they need in a confession, right? But they can't arrest him on the spot. They don't want to put the informant in a dangerous position. So they've got their tape. They actually put the informant in the witness protection program. Do you know where they put him? I looked it up. Where? They put him at a rectory and made him a priest. And then they made a movie out of it. It was called Brother Act? It was called Brother Act. I love him. I love him. I love him. And when he goes, I follow. I follow. I follow. follow, I will follow him. (laughs) Change the key. When Whoopi Goldberg sings it at the end, yeah. you know, at the end, she oh, does take it down. She does take it down. That is a great movie that still holds up. It is such a good movie. Yeah. I know that movie like the back of my hand. I love that movie so much. I know much. that movie like the back of my hand. It's kind of a long movie. It's not that long. How fast do you think we could tell it? We could tell it in five minutes. <laughs> For those of you who that. have not been to a live show, we told the story of Titanic in five minutes at our first one and Sound of Music in our second. Maybe we just found our third. That is such a great movie. Blasphemy! <laughs> Alma! Check your, your battery! <laughs> so now they don't have the names of the other two men involved, but they have David Wright. That means that the assistant manager, Carlos, was telling the truth. He is innocent. And now they're like, Hi, Carlos. Sorry for the suspicious feelings. Yeah. Are you mad? Are you mad <laughs> at us? We believe you. Here's this edible arrangement. Please accept our sincere apologies. Also, can you tell us about David Wright? <laughs> can you help us a little? He's like, I told you, bitches, I didn't. They're like, we know, we know, we know. We're I know. Sorry. I'm sorry. David Wright did not like to listen to management. He didn't want to follow directions. He didn't want to be told what to do. He wanted to be his own boss. He loved to laugh and play, um, but he was a dirty cook. So his area was always dirty. And so Carlos tells him, like, David did not like management. He did not like authority. Have you ever worked in a restaurant, my love? I have. How many days? I worked in a restaurant in New Orleans. I think someone else doesn't like authority very much. How many jobs have you been fired from? Okay, first of all, I don't like that. I've been fired from one. Just the telemarketing one? Well, just the telemarketing one. I walked out of the restaurant because my manager said something to me I didn't like, so I left. And then, <laughs> That's the most Joey thing ever. <laughs> and then when I waited tables in New York, the owner said something to me that I didn't like, and I left. <laughs> and uh, that has been a theme in my life. 
<laughs> I didn't get fired from the Bible bookstore. That was my first job. But I told a cunt face Kathy that I was going to put my notice in. And she told the manager over the weekend and Monday, he said, I heard you're putting your notice in. We don't do notices here at the gospel bookstore. Today is your last day. And I said, well, shove that Bible where the sun doesn't shine. <laughs> Has, nope, I don't want to conjure her. No. I don't know what you're talking about. I, you know, I know you won't come cut you. See, you are in love with me. I just wanted to know if you got fired when you got robbed. I never got fired. I am a hard-working woman. Unlike you, you look like a, the fifth member of B-52s right now with that weird <laughs> bun in your head. Oh, beehive bee. I ain't seen a dude like that since my cousin Peepin' Tom got my Mimo's wig out and wore it to church. I just wanted to know if you got fired when that robber came because somebody has to pay back the $143. You want to be cheating. Oh, no. How dare you put your finger on my trauma, okay? <laughs> I know the words. I know them. I know all about it. I'm on TikTok. I know what you think. You're trying to resurrect my trauma. I have never gotten back that $143. Okay. Somebody stuck their dirty, filthy, thieving fingers right into a box of Cheez-Its. I had to pay for those Cheez-Its. You must know. But I did eat the other half, so it worked out. So have you ever been fired from a job? I have never been fired from a job. I am my own boss. Okay. What do you do? Well, I have a, uh, I didn't want to talk about this, but I guess it's a good place to, uh, do some marketing. Okay. I am a cam girl on Tuesdays only. Okay. And uh, if you would like to come see me shake my knockers, uh, you can come get, <laughs> use the promo code Titty Tuesday. <laughs> can you take a spray and leave, please? Can you please just take a spray and leave? Anyway, I have never been fired. And you didn't watch yourself, you're going to be fired. I'll fire you from this job. You are not my boss. Oh, I will be once I get that $143 <laughs> back and I'll acquire this podcast. <laughs> All right, well, you can take a and leave. I gotta go. I'm late. Oh, God. All right, well, bye now. We're gonna be fired. Okay. Carlos fired Wright for being unsanitary. But the cook took his dismissal so well, Carlos never thought to mention him to police. He was so nonchalant. He was like, oh, well, like, I knew it was coming. Well, Dave got fired. David got fired because he kept a messy station. Yeah. His his station was like messy. It and, was unsanitary. Yeah. I don't want anyone cooking my steak with salmonella fingers. Yeah. But the weird thing was when he was fired, he was like, all right, cool. Fair enough. Bye. Of and course he, he was. He knew he made tuberculosis tiramisu. Right. He made that E. coli egg salad. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wash your damn hands. I don't want no toenail trifles. <laughs> How's your trifle, Sandra? It's great. Is that a toenail? He personally knew Rodney and Naomi. Personally knew them. He knew she had plans for the future. He knew Rodney was a father with a wife at home. Like, he knew this stuff. He worked there. Here's the gag. When David worked there, he also worked there with Rodney and Naomi. He had personal relationships with them. He knew Rodney had a wife and kids. He stood next to them day after day, making food and again, creating these bonds and relationships. Yeah. And here's the other thing. They do a background check on David and he had served time twice for drugs. And he made it very clear that no matter what happened in his life, He ain't going back to prison. Yeah. Because basically he said he would die before going back. And that made investigators very nervous because one thing we've said many times, someone who has nothing to lose, they are terrifying. Yeah. You don't know what they're capable of. 
Now, District Attorney Deborah Sines tells the cops, you got to get Tyree off the street. You have to get a confession out of him and you have to get those other names. And so fortunately for them, Tyree missed a court date for like a minor infraction and they arrested him and they brought him in and they have to be very careful about this. Right. Now, Detective Michael Irving is here and he went to DBU along with Mitch. This guy did his homework yep. because they had been tracking Tyree, watching him pictures, videos, and he studied him. Mm-hmm. He studied where he went, how he acted, who he interacted with. And the one thing that this interrogator really could pick up on was his utter lack of remorse. Yeah, we're dealing with a sociopath here. He went about his life like nothing happened. He was going to church on Sunday saying hi to the friends. He was going to Panera Bread. He was just living his life. So they ask him about the murders. And he's like, I don't I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Detective Mike is like, I mean, we've got we've actually got a tape of you confessing to it. And Tyree was so cocky. He's like, you don't have that. It doesn't exist because I didn't commit a murder. So there was nothing for me to confess. And Detective Mike goes, all right, why don't you come take a walk over here with me to this TV? You see that VCR down there? And I'm sorry, Gen Z, I'm not explaining what a VCR is right now. We don't have the time and Google is free. Yes. So he goes, why don't you push play on that VCR? And there is not just audio, Mm y'all, video of Tyree confessing to everything. And basically his face just like cracked turns into a statue. And what other choice does he have? Yeah. Detective Mike was like, so you've seen enough now. And literally Tyree said, I have seen enough. And y'all, he sang like a canary. Tyree confirms David Wright was behind the whole thing. And then he drops the names of the other two guys who helped. 21-year-old Joel Smith and 28-year-old Rodman Durham. According to Tyree Bunn, when this whole plan was orchestrated, there was no talk initially about murdering anyone. There was only talk about a robbery. And he's like, yep, here's all the information. And the other two guys were Joel Smith and Rodman Durham. And he also was like, just so you know, This was only meant to be a robbery. Yeah, yeah. The killing part was never discussed. It was never discussed with me. It wasn't part of the plan. I do want you to know that. Yeah. And he also says David Wright orchestrated this whole thing. And so what happened is that morning, they went in through the back door of the restaurant where they saw Josh, Naomi, and Rodney. Then they made them get into that freezer. Two of the robbers went upstairs to get the money, one of them being Tyree. They get that $3,200, go back downstairs, and now Joel and Tyree are the lookouts, while David and Rodman are in the freezer with the three victims. Oh, this is where it gets dark, y'all. Yeah. Papa Xanax. So even though they were masked, Naomi recognized David. And she said to him, David, don't do this. Yeah. And David could not leave witnesses. That's, that's where his mind was. Because... Remember his very, very clear statement about going to prison. She recognizes me. She's going to turn me in. I need to make that not happen so I don't get sent back to prison. Yeah. So David shot Josh first. Then David shot Rodney. And finally, Rodman shot Naomi multiple times. But David said, no, that's not how you do it. 
And he shot Naomi in the head the same way he did Josh and Rodney. I mean, horrifying. So Joelle Smith and Rodman Durham are arrested, but they cannot find David Wright anywhere. So they put out, you know, feelers for David. He's considered armed and dangerous. And someone called with a tip and they were like, you all are looking in the wrong place. He's in Virginia. And this woman knew exactly where he was. The warrant squad, they jumped in the helicopter. We jumped into a car and started heading down 95 South. U.S. Marshals enlist local Virginia police and determine David Wright has barricaded himself inside a townhouse. The police had the perimeter surrounded. He was inside and he could not get past them. But David Wright surprises everyone. So on January 29th, 2004, D.C. police, as well as Virginia police, descend on David's hideout. He had barricaded himself inside of a townhouse. And there was a perimeter set up. There was no way this man was going to escape. But he did escape. Yep. Because when the police finally got inside, they found David dead by suicide. And he said, I'm, I'm never going back to jail. And I guess he meant it. So... What a piece of shit. What, yeah, what an absolute fucking butthound. It's so expected for somebody to have so little regard for someone you knew. And, you know, I think about that. Did you ever watch Grey's Anatomy? Yes. Do you remember when the gunman came into the hospital and that one girl started saying all this personal information about herself? Does anyone remember that scene? I don't remember that. He had a gun to her and she started saying things like her name and where she was from and her mother's name and her sister's name and all of these facts about them because they said that she had heard somewhere. Of course, I'm paraphrasing y'all. I saw this like 10 years ago. But basically, like, she was trying to humanize herself to this killer. Yeah. And I would imagine that's what Naomi was trying to do. She wasn't screaming. She wasn't yelling. She just looked at him and said, David, don't do this. In hopes to try to get through to him and make him see her. Yeah. And he was so callous. He just did the exact opposite. So he had no regard. He had no regard for his own life, clearly. Yeah. All he was thinking about was his selfishness and not wanting to go back to prison. Yep. In December 2005, Tyree Bunn and Joelle Smith plead guilty to second-degree murder and are sentenced to 24 years and 30 years, respectively. I wonder why they got different sentences. Well, Tyree didn't have any priors. Maybe Joelle had priors. Maybe. So they didn't both get 24 to 30 years? No, Tyree got 23 and Joelle got 30. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Tyree had no priors. Yeah. Now, Rodman Durham maintained his innocence and went to trial. And this dumbass, stupid ass, uh, was not he was thinking. Taking his stupid pills and double fucking doses. I mean, because one of the guns used in the murder belonged to Rodman's cousin, who had reported it stolen a month before the killings. And Rodman's cousin even testified against him. He said, I didn't kill anyone, but Rodman told me he used it to kill someone here in D.C. Yeah, I was like, are you all fucking competing in the Hunger Games of stupidity? Yeah, well. His cousin's like, I'm not going down for your bullshit. He used my gun. He told me he did it. Bye. Yeah, well, he lost those Hunger Games because on June 9th, 2005, Rodman was convicted of first-degree murder and received 75 years in prison. Yeah, baby, rot, that's, that's the rot. rest of your life. Yeah. Bye-bye. Like, fucking awful fucking fuckstick. And there is one more victim of that Palm Sunday bloodbath. 
After years of trying, the Colonel Brooks Tavern is unable to shake its infamous reputation. In 2012, the bar closes its doors for good. I don't want to call it a tragedy, but a sad shame is the bar closed in 2012. They could never recover. They just could never recover. And I looked at a lot of footage and online news footage. People were like crying and hugging, you know, like a neighborhood place where you have friends, where you have celebrations. And it was a family. It was just like a small business. And it was really a sad day in that neighborhood. And in 2013, it was demolished for a planned development that never even made it because the community fought that fucker off. So now it's just an empty lot. And, you know, the victims' families talk about how this horrible event changed their lives forever. Josh's father never recovered from this. Sweet assistant manager Carlos says, you know, sometimes I see Naomi in my dreams and we just laugh. And even Detective Creedle or Detective Mitch, down bitch Mitch, man, says, I wanted to solve this case for the families, but also my friend Rodney. He was a good man. I wanted justice for him so badly. So, you know, honestly, congratulations to that police department because they fought the good fight. They did not stop until this case was solved. And my heart goes out to every single family and friend of those victims. Yeah, it was really sad. There's a lot of coverage of this online and that neighborhood. It was just really sad. Rodney's sister got me as well. Yeah. She was very, very sweet. So those fuckers can go piss up a rope. And uh, Rodman still maintains his innocence to this day. Good luck, dummy. Good luck. Yeah. Bye. See ya. Say something funny. Well, listen. On tour, you and I have eaten at some suspicious places, Mm -hmm. and I feel like there might be some unsanitary cooks in there because I feel like once or twice, Mm -hmm. we have had a pink eye potato (laughs) or maybe a dysentery deli sandwich. A dysentery deli. (laughs) Maybe a little gonorrhea goulash. Ow! (laughs) Gonorrhea gumbo! We had gumbo in New Orleans! Oh, no! Gonorrhea gumbo! Gonorrhea gumbo! Those are maracas. We have maracas. Are there maracas in there? Can someone check for maracas? Oh, thank you, down bitches. What a story. They are all dark. We're trying to make you laugh through the pain. But thank you for being here. And please follow us on social media. We can be found anywhere at I Think Not Pod. We're making video booth story reels for you so you can see our big dumb faces in addition to listening to our big dumb voices. Yeah, definitely check out our TikTok at I Think Not Pod as well as Instagram. Also, you can find our personal accounts on Instagram at Ellen Marsh. That's Ellen with a Y. And you can find me at It's Joey Taranto. Tell them about the Facebook group, Ellen, because I still don't know the name. Join our Facebook group. It's called the I Think Not Podcast Discussion Group. There you go. And we're in there all the time, talking jokes, sending jokes. We posted a bunch of pictures from our live show, which was just such a blast. If you joined us, please post a picture. We would love to see it. And don't forget about our Patreon. Bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, our close friend circle. All of it starting at five bucks. Four extra episodes 
for the price of a coffee. <laughs> Y'all drink expensive coffee. I make my coffee at home. So do I. But we would love to see you. We love hearing from you. If you feel like leaving us a five-star review, it sure would help us out. In addition to boosting Joey's ego. How dare you? <laughs> How very dare you? We love you so much. Thank you for joining us. I love you down bitches and I love you, Joey. I love you, Yellen Marsh. We love and I love you, DBs. <laughs> Maybe some claves. Who's got oh. claves? Oh, I don't know. Castanets. There you go. Castanets. Mm-hmm. What's this thing called? Chick, 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 that you turn that I way. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about, though. Let it go. <laughs> I don't know. Nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> You can find that on, I was about to say www, like they don't know how to get onto the World Wide Web. Everyone, if you want to get onto the World Wide Web, hit www. What are you going to do tonight? Oh, Christ, I think I'm just going to watch the internet. (laughs) 